You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, humble listeners, to the Second Print Comics Podcast. This is episode number five. We will be looking at the past, present, and future of the Incredible Hulk. And I am here, as always... Well, first, I'm here with myself, the marvelous Mark Claire, as I have been coined. Uh, and I am with my, as always, co-host, Mr. Remzo W. Martinez. Always grateful to be the token sidekick. Folks, before we get going, want to go ahead and just let you know our Patreon is actually moving forward. We've got some folks there at the $25 epic crossover level that I just recently started sending them their signed exclusive limited posters, uh, their mystery hardcover graphic novel. I even include a signed letter because I'm, I'm a sweet person. So, you know, this is a great opportunity for you to get involved that way, get some awesome perks, and also really invest back into the show so we can continue to push out great content for you. And, and by the time this episode comes out, um, our, our, the first person who I went ahead and mailed their mystery graphic novel for will have already got it. Uh, let, let me see. Mark, should I tell them what I went ahead and sent him? Because I'm actually really excited. I about think you one. can do it because he will have he will have read it by this time. Yes. Ab- absolutely. It's not much of a mystery, but I went to my Although local. Although he might shop. hear it on Patreon early, since since our Patreon supporters get early access. But I think uh, it's okay. you know what? Let's let's go ahead and just push the limit a little bit. Let's I sent it. I sent Anthony Meyer, aka Prime Meyer, if you're in the second print comics fan zone, a hardcover copy of Deceased, the absolutely insane cult phenomenon from the last year where the DC universe is infected by the anti-life equation, making them all zombies. It's by Tom Taylor and a whole team of just really amazing artists. It's the sleeper hit that people didn't realize that it was as insane until more information started coming about it in the follow on series. Anthony, I think you're going to love it because it combines everything we love. Uh, very, a very quintessential Elseworld story where you see the DC heroes and zombies. So, I mean, what, what, what can get better than that? Um, 
And I mean, this is one of those opportunities that I really love where we get to take the the things that we're interested in, the things we love and share it with other people. I almost feel like comic book Santa, but instead of being mutually exclusive to those that celebrate Christmas and coming once a year and maybe bring you what you want, I Mark and I come to you up to three times a year with awesome stuff on the regular. So you know, let, let us hook you up. Go Actually, ahead and find four, us on Patreon. They get a graphic novel every three months at the Epic Crossover level. Oh, yeah. I know, I I know you're not math. the math guy here. I'm the banner. I'm not the, the math the Bruce guy. Bruce Banner in this equation, for sure. There you go. I'll be math impaired, man. <laughs> you can be my Rick Jones. <laughs> or maybe my Doc Sampson. I don't know. We'll see. Let's see. But yeah, go ahead and find us on Patreon at Second Print Comics Podcast. Patreon.com slash Second Print Pod. And we have all sorts of perks at various different levels. And uh, Remzo particularly has been pumping out a lot more content than me. He's been doing, man, I feel like you're doing a rant every other day now, nowadays. But tons of content up there. Uh, we're also going to be doing some live streams, some live watches. By the time this airs, we will probably have done the Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. live watch as well. So very exciting stuff over on the Patreon. And of course, we encourage you all in this stage, the early stages of our growth, the best way, the absolute absolute best way to help us out besides of course sending us money on patreon is of course to give us a five star rating and an amazing review over on apple podcast that still represents the largest share of the podcast market anything you do over there really helps us uh raise our profile and get in, in front of more people and get uh get in more of those nerdy earbuds out there so uh ramzo we actually have a little offer that we wanted to offer people about this if you oh wanna, spill if you it, it mark because you had spill a, it. well you you visited your local comic shop and i think this is a great perk because it commemorates our oh first, yeah our very first episode where we went over X-Men Mutant Genesis, which collects X-Men volume two, number one through seven from 1992. And you recently found a little stash um, of the X-Men number one at your local comic shop. So we're going to be giving some of those away. If you sign up for our Patreon between now and October 1st, anybody who signs up at any level will receive a copy of X-Men number one or alternately another way you can get that is by leaving us a five-star rating and a great review and sending us a screenshot. There's a few ways you can do that. You can message our Facebook page, the Second Print Comics Podcast. Uh, you can also find us at Second Print Pod. Send us a message on Twitter. You can even send us on Instagram. However you got to do it, just get in touch with us, and uh, we will get that to you ASAP. We're at all the places. All, all the, the ways. places, my friends. All the places. Uh, anyway... Moving into the topic of today's show, um, this is a character that I have been fascinated by from, honestly, I think before I even was into comics, I was fascinated by The Incredible Hulk, because when I was a kid, it was in reruns, uh, the show had already run its course, but it was in like daytime reruns, and I was obsessed with The Incredible Hulk TV show, uh, which which uh, followed the, the chronicle of the adventures of Dr. David Banner, is, is that they called it, uh, where he would travel the country trying to find a cure for his illness, where he turns into the incredible hulk whenever he gets angry or upset and uh that is uh that is that show just captured me from the beginning i had never read a comic book but i found the idea of this character so intriguing uh, a character that essentially had split personalities a character that essentially couldn't even control himself because when he got when he lost touch with his emotions when he lost control he would literally turn into somebody else and not be able to control that destructive forceful creature at all um and, and the the hulk of that show was uh it was destructive but not not quite a Savage Hulk. It was also they also portrayed the Hulk as sort of a kind creature that would only really only harm others if they were in direct harm to him or to his alter ego of uh, David Banner. But uh, I don't know why they called him David instead of Bruce. That was probably just some weird TV TV marketing thing. So the the guy over at was it was it ABC or CBS? I want to say ABC, but I'll, I'll do a real time was... googling to find out right now. 
Yeah. So whoever the network producer was, and I found this out recently because we were doing prep for this episode. I, I Okay. One thing I love about the Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk series are the transformations between Bill Bixby and yes. Lou Ferrigno. Starts with the, the eyes I, every time. I, it, the, the eyes are what get you. And then everything else, whether it's cheesy or really high tech for the time, like I, I love watching that. So they had like a three hour montage on YouTube. It was CBS. Just, CBS. CBS. Okay. So one of the producers at CBS. And this definitely tells you the, the time period, which is coming out. The reason why he wanted to change the name of Bruce Banner to David Banner was that um, it, it was a cultural misconception at the time that the name Bruce was either a, I, I'm trying to find the politically correct way to say this because he put it in a much more vulgar term, but it was an effeminate name for possibly homosexual men. It was uh, it, it was one of those things that Lou Ferrigno actually confirmed with an interview with, uh, I think it was Howard Stern, because this is one of those parts of the show where it's like, let me see, you're finally adapting a comic book character. You're putting it into a, a nighttime drama. So they had to really balance this out between the readers that were diehard fans and putting this in front of, you know, really your, your mom and dad at the time, because they wanted also to appeal to a, to the adult crowd. So in doing that, they had to kind of move around these norms and uh it, it seems like the producer at the time had a prejudice against members of the lgbtq community uh stanley over at marvel at times when he, at the time when he was editor said why are you doing this as a stupid reason a fight broke out lou ferrigno tried getting involved because lou ferrigno was a fan of the comics and uh before they even cast bill bixby the name david was ultimately chosen and the producer won so now many decades since the incredible hulk tv show was wrapped up uh, bill bixby sadly died a few years after that Lou Ferrigno has basically gone out of his way to really say yeah it was it was ultimately prejudice that led to the name change but you know the the origins of these things as secret and uncanny as they are often more disturbing than what you know the internet might often say so the fact that Lou Ferrigno himself uh, went on the record about this many times shows that the origins of the name David Banner are probably more dark than anybody really assumed Wow, Ramzo. and what a lovely way to start the show! <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You, this is why I handpicked you. Uh, handpicked it. Handpicked it in. <laughs> this is why I handpicked you as, as my trusty Picked sidekick in. here, because you. Uh, I know a lot of stuff, but I know what I know. You know, you can't teach a dog old tricks, and I had never heard that story, and I was probably never going to research it. So I'm glad I pick up women with my incredible Hulk trivia facts. <laughs> this leads us into a little conversation, I think, before because what I really want to dive into. This show has been about the comics that affected us the most, really. And uh, I, one of the comics I got into when I first started getting into uh, comic books in the early 90s was Peter David's Hulk run. And we were going to specifically look at the biggest story of that run, probably what's hailed as the best story of that run in many ways, ways introduce a character that we still see pop up now and again, and that is Future Imperfect, uh, where we see a future incarnation of the Hulk known as the Maestro. That is a character we've, uh, we've seen pop up continuously uh, over the last you know 30 years or so. Uh, but I really want to dive deeper into some of these, you know, deep Peter David's run overall, because it really is the quintessential Hulk run. It's it, it defined the character in so many ways. It defined the character that we see in the Marvel Universe in so many ways right now. Uh, and it really is the absolute definitive Hulk run. Peter David wrote that title for 12 years. It's really hard to top that. Um, so, but, uh, you know, the biggest story within that is Future Imperfect, which was a little bit later um, in, in David's run. Uh, but I gave you a little list. Before I get into this list uh, of some of the comics we checked out, 
uh, to check out this run of the Hulk. First, since we're already talking about um, Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno here, I want to discuss the Hulk's portrayal in TV and film. Maybe we can do a quick ranking uh, of the Hulk portrayals. What do you think? Oh, let, let's do it. You want to do it by actor? Yeah, let's do it by actor. And I guess technically there would have to be because the Incredible there. Hulk series had two. I mean, he Lou Ferrigno plays the Hulk. Bill Bixby plays David Banner. I don't know if we want to rank Te- them separately or. I mean, technically nobody ever plays the Hulk because the person well, sure, who's actually yeah. the the green, you know, the Jade Giant on screen is usually a stunt double in a mocap suit. Um, so I, I think we'll we'll give we'll, we'll tie Bill Bixby. Yeah, we'll 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 have him be the the quintessential Hulk in that situation. Not that we're discounting Lou Ferrigno, but it just makes more sense because ultimately it's the portrayal of Bruce Banner or David Banner in some cases, which ultimately really gives the tone of the Hulk story that you're encountering. Right. So, uh, do we agree that he's number one either way? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no question about it. He he he. It's very strange. I I watched it in Australia Um, when I was a kid in Australia. They had reruns of the series, so you could watch uh, Spider Man, X Men, and then reruns of the Incredible Hulk on Saturday morning. So that's how I got really, uh, you know, introduced to that version. But over the years, I've just, you know, I've just really come to appreciate the level of seriousness and the storytelling they put into it. And Bill Bixby, I mean, this is probably his most famous role, but this was seen as an oddball role for him to star in this science fiction show where he turns into a green monster. And when you really learn that this was something that was kind of left field for his career, um, you, you really begin to have an added appreciation because usually when you have big series, Various uh, big name actors go into roles like this. They usually kind of phone it in. But Bill Bixby, when you look at the episodes that he's in, where he's really putting in his all, like my gosh, you, you see a side of the Bruce Banner story, which I think often gets overshadowed by the Hulk. So number one, I mean, w- without any seconds hesitation, absolutely Bill Bixby. Should we call him a slash Lou Ferrigno? Just make them all one. Yeah, I, I want to give Lou for credit in here somewhere because it's really the combination in many ways that that makes that one. So yeah, so Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, the original TV show portrayal as a whole, I think, is is number one. After that, it gets tough. <laughs> After that, it gets tough. Um, I have not seen the entirety of the Eric Bana um, Hulk movie. But I did watch some clips because I just wanted to get uh, a sense of how he portrayed the character. And uh, from what I saw, I was not impressed. I, not, not so much with his acting, but uh, like the transformations that I saw were just not. It was very kind of crappy animation that when, once they turned him into the Hulk. So I, I just I, mean, I don't want to blame him, the animation on Eric Bana. But uh, his, from the clips I saw of his portrayal, I was not very impressed. This is why I uh, and, and I agree. Eric Bann is not my favorite um, because when you see him in the Hulk film from 2002, 2003, um, it's not Bruce Banner becoming the Hulk. It's it's Eric Bana <laughs> becoming the Hulk. I mean, it, it, there's there you have to understand there are two sides of this coin, and it's like with uh, with Batman sometimes. It's like who's the real alter ego, Batman or Bruce Wayne? With the Hulk, I feel like. Bruce Banner gets overshadowed by the Hulk and they really try and do it in that film. Whereas, I mean, they're, they're losing a giant side of this character, which is really rich. And it comes really from that from that uh, Peter David run where you really get to see that it's not that these are really two separate people. It's that it's really the same person encountering many of these challenges because of his affliction. So I, I, I personally did not like Eric Bannon's portrayal as uh 
Bruce Banner and the Hulk. He's he's dead last for me. I'll say that up front. I'd agree he's dead last. So now we just got to rank the middlemen there. Uh, Edward. Norton. This might get more. This might get more complicated. This I'm is complicated. This is tough. Say. And I'm, I'm going to think about it a bit because because I obviously why would I think about it before the show? Why come prepared, Remzo? Um, <laughs> I actually like the Edward Norton Hulk movie. More than more than it's given credit for, I should say. I don't think it's a great film, but I don't hate it, uh, and I don't think he's bad in it. Um, I lo- I love Edward. I don't know. I love Edward Norton as an actor, and I think he did a pretty good job in this movie. Something about him didn't feel quite as Bruce Bannery as he should to me. If that makes sense. I, I don't think he was trying to make the role his own i think he was really and and remember we have to we have to realize this guy at one point almost directed the movie then he helped rewrite the script he helped produce it so this he had a lot of you know a lot of active roles in this which is one reason why he didn't come back because he got into so many fights with uh with with paramount who actually owns the hulk rights and and marvel studios at the time because this was the second film after iron man in 2008 i i feel like the incredible hulk in norton's sense was a spiritual successor to the bill bixby hulk series we see this in the new origin where it's not the gamma bomb it's the it's the radiation chamber that bill bixby was in he has a lot of those uh lonesome traveler uh homages throughout the incredible hulk film in the way that bill bixby's david banner had so even though it's not direct continuity he he really zoned in on what worked what makes both both the hulk and bruce banner jive with viewers and i think he i think he did the best in terms of the of the big screen he is personally my number two hulk beneath uh bill bixby lou ferrigno i can i can be talked into that uh i i think mark ruffalo does a does a decent enough job as bruce banner um i i did find a lot of inconsistency not in his performance but obviously the there's a lot of inconsistency in the mcu version of the hulk um that's kind of unexplained uh, you know he, in the in the avengers movie he's he's really just the more of the kind of dummies ish savage hulk um that kind of has some intelligence you know he becomes a hero and joins the team but he's not that bright and then somehow magically when we get to ragnarok he, he's he's a lot more uh, he's more of an intelligent hulk um they, they kind of explain it with like a line of how he's been trapped in the body in, in that form for a while because he was you know in a state of fear being on that planet but um <clears throat> but um the, there and then of course we go to the last to uh to end game where he basically becomes professor hulk which is basically a takeoff on uh peter david's ultimate version of hulk with all the combined personalities and none of that is mark ruffalo's fault um but we've never seen him and we won't see him unless something major happens in his own solo Hulk film. So it's going to be hard to judge him as a whole. Um, so I guess I'm going to go ahead and agree with you there on uh, on Edward Norton, because I did like him. I, I did think he did a pretty good job. Didn't blow me away, but um, you know, there's, it's a short list here. So he's definitely way, way, way ahead of Eric Bana. And uh, yeah, I guess I can't make a, a compelling case for Mark Ruffalo. I, th- I think he does a decent enough job with what he's given. Yeah, like I don't think any of them, like even Eric Bana, despite the fact that I don't think he was a good Bruce Banner, he's he's still a good actor. Like he does. I mean, it's really hard hard to watch that film today only because of how far we've progressed with superhero films. But I think they're all very talented men. It's just, you know, what who has the right balance between Bruce Banner and Hulk and for Mark Ruffalo, because his Hulk was really more of a side story to the 
to the Avengers trilogies, um, I, I feel like we didn't get to really go in depth. Like a lot of stuff was happening off camera. So by the time we do see Hulk, we're just kind of there in the moment. We're supposed to assume a bunch of other stuff happened. I feel like his character arc and progression as a character was sacrificed for what the Avengers films needed. So I don't think that's necessarily Eric Bana's fault. I think that's Kevin Feige trying to... Ruffalo's fault. Uh, yeah, I don't it think might that's... be Eric Bana's fault. Maybe Eric Bana's been yeah, somehow man, sabotaging. Man. Yeah, you you get it. Scenes. You get. It. I don't think it's Mark Ruffalo's fault. But I think it's Kevin Feige trying to retain that that IP so that way he can keep plugging him into films. Yeah. Because Hulk fans are going to go see it. So I mean, it's. I think they've sacrificed the character for more cash grabs. We've pretty much seen a different Hulk in every single Marvel film. Even in um in Infinity War, he was. We never even saw the Hulk in Infinity War. He was just the Hulk that was too afraid to come out. Yeah, which I that that part still bugs me because I I was always hoping we would see that that scene. I think it was a cut scene or something that was shown one of like the Lego sets for Infinity War, where you see Bruce Banner bust out of the Hulkbuster armor as Hulk. I always thought that would be cool. And there was and, a shot. There yeah. was a shot in one of the trailers they released of the Hulk where, like, where he's where he's battle. running yeah. with so, the, with the Wakandans and Captain yeah, America. They completely mess with us on that. Yeah, I feel like they they've really sacrificed the the richness of the character just so that way they can keep putting him in these films. Yeah, and they basically just will alter the Hulk with a little to no explanation to whatever version of the Hulk best fits, fits what they want to do with the character of the film. And let, instead of letting us kind of see that progression, of course, that again is because they they can't do a full film with him, so they're never going to give him that kind of that kind of service. You know, they're not going to dedicate half of the Avengers, uh, you know, half of Endgame to how how uh, Bruce Banner became this merged Hulk when you know they have a whole other story to tell. So. Yeah, so it's not Mark Ruffalo's fault at all. I, I think it was a decision on Kevin Feige's end. And that because of that decision, it, it impacted how we view the the Ruffalo Hulk, which is, I mean, Mark, Mark Ruffalo does great. He does great with what he's able to do. It's just that I don't think he was given an equal playing ground. Right, right. All right, so with that being said, let's take a full well, – I guess, sorry, sorry, what's our final ranking? Our final ranking is number one, Bill Bixby. Bill Bixby. Slash, with a nod to, to Lou Ferrigno. And mm-hmm. uh, number two, Edward Norton. Number three, Mark Ruffalo. And rounding out the back is Eric Bana. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> do, do you know what Lou Ferrigno called uh, Ruffalo's Hulk? <laughs> no. He said that the Hulk has gotten progressively puffier throughout the film. That is true. And he, and he hates CGI. He, he mm. says that because they have – taken away that you know that the actual like real effects that you know human element that uh the 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 first couple uh mcu films are known for practical effects um that that's really kind of taken away what makes it so amazing so despite the fact that it's more technologically advanced it's taken away that cinema magic that we liked and i kind of get what he's saying like there's a stark difference between like the first iron man film where you had a lot of practical effects and then you last see iron man and Endgame, where it's all basically just a cartoon now well, I mean, he, he's just he's just walking around in that mocap suit. There, there's nothing practical about it. So I, I get where Ferrigno's coming from. But at the end of the day, we want to see the Jade Giant in his full glory. Right. It can't just be a dude who's a bodybuilder of green paint. This is true. I would love if they, now that we know that Marvel is, is going to be dipping their toe into the multiverse uh, with the, um, the WandaVision show and with the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I hope we somehow can see a Lou Ferrigno version of Hulk, even if it's just a shot, you know, even if it's just a glimpse while they're you know, tra- traversing the multiverse or what have you. I would love to get him in there somehow. You, you know, he was in, he was in, uh, I'm sorry, he was in the Incredible Hulk film. 
You are, this is your role on the show. I come up oh, with things wow. I'd love to see, and then you tell me they already happened. <laughs> okay, so actually, he's appeared in two Hulk films. He was the security guard walking out of the labs with Stan Lee in I do, their I do joint remember cameo. That, actually. I do remember yeah, that. Yeah, so that's, but, in, that's in the band of Hulk. Right, but I want and him then, as the Hulk in a movie. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so you're not going to be happy when I say he plays the security guard who's bribed with pizza in the Norton Incredible Hulk. <laughs> you want to see him all all greened up. Yes, I want to see him as an alternate version of the Hulk from a, from a, the multiverse. That's what I want. So my wish has not been granted yet. We can dream. We can dream. We can dream. But moving on, uh, like I said, we're going to tackle future imperfect, but um, I really want to just touch on a couple key aspects of peter david's run first and uh he technically started his run with hulk with hulk number incredible hulk number 331 but he first got to write a solo issue at hulk number 328 and i know you read this one uh peter david's first issue and right from the beginning peter david it's clear that peter david loves to get into the psychology of this character um that is a theme throughout the entire 12 years of peter david's run is looking at the complexities of bruce banner's mind and like you kind of mentioned before showing us these aren't necessarily different personalities um although he does have sort of a a multiple personality syndrome they really are different aspects of the same person of the same person's personality and they're different aspects that are coming out um largely because of the trauma of his childhood and then combining that with the gamma radiation, which served to sort of further split his personalities and those personalities evolved over the years. And that is something that Peter David really went into. But uh, well, starting with his very first issue here on Hulk number 328, I, I just, just give me your thoughts on this first of all, but before we get into the full, the full plot of this one, we do not see Hulk <laughs> stories like this anymore. I mean, this really blew me we, away the first no. time I read it. This wasn't the first time I had read it. I'd, I'd read it a few years ago, but I was I was like, what? <laughs> I, I'll openly admit that I, I judged this by the cover and it looks like a very B-rated sci-fi Hulk story that you would typically have found in the late yeah, 70s. The cover eight. does not in any way explain what's, what's going to happen. Yeah, this. so so I judged it. I thought it was going to be a lot sillier and not really as impactful. But as you actually get to read it, this is him really giving a spotlight mm-hmm. on Bruce Banner, the man. And as I'm going through it, it's like they, they use these silly characters to kind of make it work. I don't think we've ever seen this guy who's the bad guy in this issue ever again for reasons that you'll know when you read the issue, but like it's a, it it was a deep story. It's very, it's very Bixby esque. Exactly. So basically uh, Bruce Banner is wandering through the desert uh, and he's sort of having hallucinations. Obviously, I don't know the entire story that led up to this point, but there was a lot going on at the Hulk at this point. Uh, like It's no bueno. Yeah, it's no bueno. He's really in a bad place. At some point, Rick Jones became a Hulk in here, and that was like kind of right before this because he's referencing it throughout. Um, but he's basically wandering through the desert. He's hallucinating. He's He runs into this guy who's just oh, this old man who's just sitting in the road and starts talking to this old man. And uh, eventually you, you realize that this guy is not real um you realize that everything is really happening within the mind of bruce banner and what do they call this villain that showed up i don't remember like i'm trying to trying to find it in here but um, i was like puzzle person it was something weird i'll (laughs) I'll find it eventually but any all of this is going on within bruce banner's mind and you see the different hulk personalities come out um but it's really just different aspects fragment that's his name fragment that's right and 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 fragment really is just a creation of of puzzle person sounds so much better puzzle person is much better yeah uh, but basically, Fragment and this old man, sort they, they're coming after Banner and different aspects of the Hulk are coming out. We see the Grey Hulk come out uh, and he, he battles Fragment. Um, and and th- throughout all of this time, throughout Bruce Banner wandering through the desert, he is contemplating 
suicide, basically, uh, through through the sort of internal monologues of the different Bruce Banner personalities. And um, th- this kind of internal battle is played out in uh, what is seemingly a physical battle, but it's not really because it, it is all taking place in Banner's mind uh, between these different elements. This old man that's in the street, that's in the street. Um, this um, what's the, this villain called Fragment? Uh, you see all these different variations of the Hulk, and he, he at one point does literally try to put a gun to his head, uh, but he's just not able to do it. And it's just really just—it's basically twenty uh, whatever the issues were back then, twenty-two pages of Bruce Banner having a a, uh, a basically a complete and total meltdown. Um, and he he does seem to overcome um, his, the 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 Hulk within him. The Hulk within him just kind of screams at the end, "Let me out! Let me out!" And Banner just kind of gives up and just kind of accepts that the, the Hulk is part of him and, and hops in a Jeep and moves along. Um, uh, but this this episode, this episode, I do this. This is my my thing I do. I call every issue of a comic an episode because I'm so used to podcasting all these years. Uh, but this issue really, I mean, I don't know if, if you ever saw stuff like this in comics uh, up to this point where it's really, a, a, it's a journey through the mind of Bruce Banner, a journey through the mind of someone who is having a, really a, a complete, complete meltdown a uh, complete conflict conflict within his um within his mind of all the different personalities that have cropped up through the the abuse he suffered as a child through all the trauma that's happened to him through this time of being the hulk and uh it's all coming out in in this through this sort of this hallucination i guess you could say uh through which he is essentially contemplating or and or depending on how real you think the physical manifesta- manifestations are uh actually trying to kill himself yeah, I mean, this is this was approved by the Comics Code Authority. That's what that's what surprises me because I'm surprised they let something like this actually get printed. So, I mean, that that right off the bat, um, that that surprised me because I mean, you see him put the gun to his head, and it's like I, I mean, you see that now in comics because everyone realized the Comics Code Authority was bogus. But I mean, for this to do that and still have that stamp on the time. Uh, you could tell you, you could tell where times are changing. I mean, what's beautiful about this scene? Here's another piece of useless knowledge you could use to pick up women. Uh, this 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 image That's right be here. Your next book: How to pick up women with uh, comic book facts or just Hulk facts. If you want to be more niche, it's, it's in it's in the process. But like this was a scene that was tr- that has been attempted to have been used in the Marvel films. This was actually an alternative opening scene to the Incredible Hulk, where uh, Edward Norton is in like Alaska or something. He's wandering into the middle of nowhere and he pulls out a gun and shoots himself. And then the Hulk, I mean, he he turns into the Hulk and the Hulk realizes that there is a bullet in his mouth and he spits it out and he's like Banner because now now it's like. Oh, Banner, uh, the Hulk realizes Banner tried to kill him. And then this is actually another deleted scene in Endgame, where as Bruce Banner's telling you more about he became, you know, quote unquote, Professor Hulk, he mentions about the time that he tried to kill himself in out in the middle of nowhere. And that when he woke up, he had a bullet between his teeth. So this is something that one, it was edgy for the time. But it's funny how this, how everyone wants to have this show up in the films, but I don't think Disney Marvel is willing to tell people, yeah, the Bruce Banner tried to kill himself. I don't think that is something that they're going to let fly. They will allow vague references to it, however. Um, and then you could see it in cutscenes. Yeah. That is why, again, why I handpicked you as my trusted sidekick, as my Rick Jones. 
for bringing, there you go. bringing the facts. Um, so Your yeah, life is better because you know this now. This this it is actually, and I'll, I'll pick up more women. Uh, but this this actually this this issue was a preview of what you're going to see from Peter David. Essentially, you're going to see him diving into the psych the um psychology yeah the psychology of, of the Incredible Hulk, the psychology of Bruce Banner uh, throughout the entirety of his of his 12 year run. And uh, I want to hop over to Hulk 377. That's an iconic issue. Uh, that is an issue that I own at my uh, my parents' house in Connecticut. And this is when we get the debut of the sort of merged smart smart Hulk. Now I should go over the fact that there are there are many different personalities of the Hulk that live within Bruce Banner that crop up over the years. There's the original Hulk, which actually was a gray Hulk, but that's an accident. That was a printing accident. He was actually always supposed to be green from the beginning. So the original gray Hulk is really the same as the original green Hulk once they fix the coloring. Uh, but we got another gray Hulk later, which which came up in Peter David's run. Uh, this Hulk was basically. Uh, 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 his name was Joe Fixit. He went by Joe Fixit. He's basically a, a slightly smarter version of the Hulk. He was not just a complete mindless savage. Uh, he's, he's smarter than the Green Hulk. Um, and he was basically just, he worked for the mob in Las Vegas. And he was just basically, he was, he was basically an aspect of, of Bruce Banner's personality that hated Banner the most. Uh, he was the most unlike Bruce Banner. He was, he was, he was basically everything that Bruce, the actual Bruce Banner wasn't. Uh, a tough guy, uh, a badass, um, a jerk. You know, he's basically Bruce Banner's uh, sort of polar opposite. So that that's one Hulk we've seen in P- Peter David's run. Uh, we also have the the sort of green slash more savage Hulk. And then we have Bruce Banner. So issue number 377 here is where Doc Sampson, who is also a gamma irradiated, and he is also the Hulk's uh, therapist and psychologist or whatever you want to call it. He basically go journeys into Bruce Banner's mind and talks to these hulks. Uh, the, the hulks all have a battle, but this is really a, a psych, a psychological battle. It's a, it's within. I would love to have seen the scene in one of the films. Oh God, that'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. And you really get to the heart of the Hulk in this because you see, you know, the, the, the real villain in the, the, within this kind of, um, within Bruce Banner's mind here that all the Hulks sort of come together against is Bruce Banner's father. They, they really go into the abuse that Bruce Banner suffered as a child. Um, his dad was very abusive. That That's something that's been, it's been an aspect of the Hulk throughout the series, but Peter David really focused on the abuse aspect a lot and how that affected Bruce Banner's personalities and, and how they came out through the various incarnations of the Hulk. So uh, Dr. Samson was basically able to, to get these Hulks to agree to come together as one personality. And that is how we got what you would call a uh, professor hulk it's basically um it's basically it's the gray hulk joe joe fix it combined with the more savage green hulk combined with bruce banner into one sort of new personality and th- this was seen at, at one point as kind of the the quote-unquote true hulk uh later that came out this is just another personality aspect of the hulk it was basically what the, the perfect version that Bruce Banner saw for himself, but that does that doesn't necessarily make it the true Hulk. But from this point in episode number three seventy uh, episode, <laughs> there I go again. In issue, what the hell, Mark? This is never going to end. In issue three seventy seven and beyond, this is the Hulk that we see uh, throughout the rest of Peter David's run, and it's probably the Hulk that is is actually most. Asso- I mean, iconically, the Savage Hulk is most associated with the character. But since the nineties, at least in the comic books, the the more intelligent version of the Hulk uh, is kind of the kind of the most famous one, and it's the one that we now see in the marvel comics yeah and i mean this is sorry in the marvel in the marvel uh mcu not in the marvel comics because we have we got a different thing going on the comics right now 
he, he he's all over the place. And I think this is what makes the Hulk uh, character that a lot of people tend to take for granted in the, in the comic space, because he, he can be a completely different person based off of whoever is writing him. You can't have like a dark, not funny Spider-Man that won't right. fly. You can't have a Batman that cracks jokes. Whereas when you really understand what's going on with Bruce Banner and his schizophrenia, um, it, it offers you so many different ways to do to really do this character justice. And I mean, we're, I'm, I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit, but like the Immortal Hulk series, this is what's plugged a lot of people in because we're seeing the Hulk, which was in like this B, B-rated sci-fi genre crossover into the horror genre, and it did so well. Yeah, we can we can dovetail into that for a minute because we we do see. I mean, speaking of that that uh, idea of Bruce Banner trying to kill himself, I mean that is like a big theme of the the Immortal Hulk. The fact that every time Banner like Banner can't die, you know, Banner cannot die because every time he dies or tries to kill himself or gets shot, he turns into a Hulk. And there are different variations of the Hulk that we see in the Immortal Hulk series, but the the dominant one that we realize is the one that's controlling the Hulk is what's known as the Devil Hulk. Um, he's like a version of the Hulk that the Banner tries to keep locked away. Uh, it's really confusing. This one it's, eats people. Yeah, this one let's eats just, people. Let's just call it out. This one eats yeah. people. He's also a very intelligent Hulk who kind of recognizes the the, uh, the the necessity of the coexistence with Bruce Banner. Um, I'm only about, I'm almost 20 issues into the series. We also see the Joe Fixit personality, not the the Gray Hulk, but the Joe Fixit personality make a return. Uh, so Banner is kind of sharing his own body with himself and with Joe Fixit. Uh, whereas the when he transforms into the Hulk, he he he. There's actually one scene where he, Banner has, has a little note card in Immortal Hulk where he's written down all the versions of the Hulk that he's been turning into, and you see that he he has like the the Green Hulk, he has um, the Devil Hulk written down. He also has Green Scar on there, which is a reference to like the the World War Hulk uh, when he kind of went nuts uh, battling on that planet, which was uh, basically. The, the, you know, the impetus for the story behind uh, you know, Thor Ragnarok. Uh, so there's a lot of different versions of the Hulk and the, in the mortal Hulk, all these Hulks are sort of battling, but the, the devil Hulk is the, the sort of the dominant personality and they really do get into the horror genre. So I'm not all the way through that series yet, but I, I've, it has captured me like, like basically like, like no other Hulk has since the, the Peter David run. I mean, it's really sucked. I, me I, I've never, I've never had anybody approach me and say, I, I'm reading a Hulk comic. The Hulk is like, you know, people like him, but they don't really like him as his own solo character as much, especially with the films. So when people are like, oh, I'm reading the Immortal Hulk, it's like, this is a, this is an example of a good series that was able to really tap into what makes Bruce Banner and the Hulk who they are and just really push it in a direction that no one thought they wanted, but when they see it, it works. Yeah, I, I can't recommend the Immortal Hulk strongly enough. Maybe we'll do a deeper dive on that once that series has you know played itself out. But uh, it's it's probably the best Marvel comic that that, that I've read in years. That's, that's really sucked me in to the point that I mean I've read some other Marvel stories that I enjoyed and that I liked, but this is one where I mean I read those these twenty issues or so in, in like two days. Like I just I, every time I get to the end, I can't not you know, hit read now on the next one on the Marvel Unlimited nap. I just, I just can't stop my finger from doing it. So that's the hallmark of a great comic uh, where you just, you just have to, you have to get to the next one. You, you can't put it down. And that when you have the app, I guess when it's weekly or month to month or w- when you're picking them up at the shop, that's one thing, uh, you know, you, you're forced to wait. But when you just have that, the Marvel Unlimited app, which I, I highly recommend, uh, it's, it's such a great, you know, such a great deal. Uh, and we get no money for saying that. So thanks for the, you're welcome for the free advertising, Marvel. Uh, but I mean, when you have that, that app and you, all you have to do is hit a button to, to read the next one it's really hard to resist uh on on a series like this so that's my it, it definitely it definitely makes yeah it definitely makes me understand why 
why so many people have jumped for digital. I will still buy my, my, uh, my physical editions, but you know, when you're bored and you just want to read something real fast and you don't want to have to go to the trouble of going to go find it. It's so convenient. Exactly. It's so convenient. And uh, before we get into the big story here, the big story that uh, that Peter David is known for, I mean, he's known for a lot, but this is probably the most famous one. Uh, just talking about the rest of his run. Do we able to dive into any of those other issues? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was. And I mean, these are some of the quintessential Hulk stories that like vi- the video games have touched on at some point. And I know they've they've been alluded to in the films. I, uh, I don't think I ever gave Peter David's writing as much credit as I should have before having to go reevaluate everything, because this is, th- th- these are the stories I wish we would have seen more on screen. Yeah, for sure. I mean, all, so many of Peter David's stories would make amazing movies. I mean, and, and, and his run gets a little complicated. I mean, there's the, there's the part of the run where he's just Joe fix it working as a, working as basically a bouncer in Las Vegas or basically working as a mob muscle. Um, while he is Joe fix it, he starts, uh, he basically gets with this chick named Marlo, Marlo Chandler. Uh, this is at the same time that Bruce Banner is with Betty, uh, but they're different characters. They're different people. So Bruce wasn't cheating. Uh, just Joe, Joe fix it was having a relationship. Uh, later on, Rick Jones ends up marrying this chick Marlo, who used to bang his friend Joe Fixit, who's not really his friend, but is another version of his real friend Bruce Banner. It's all very complicated and all very strange, but um, we do see a lot of Marlo in Peter David's run uh, in Hulk number four hundred. I guess she had died at some point there, uh, as 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 happens in comics from time to time. And uh, there's is actually an interesting. 400 is pretty pretty interesting, uh, Incredible Hulk number 400, because Hulk is faced with a, a really difficult decision because the leader is trying to kind of um, create this new technology where he can he can bring people back to life. And uh, he is using Marlowe as, as basically an experiment, as basically the the impetus of this this whole grander idea. And Rick Jones hates the leader, but he uh, he wants his wife to come back. Right, not his wife yet. They're not married yet. But he wants Marlowe back. And you know Hulk comes in to try to destroy the leader and just take him down. But Rick just pleads with them like Hulk, please don't do this. Like this is my this is the love of my life. Like she's gonna she can come back to life. Like even if we have to help him, you know, it can save her. And you see Hulk kind of going back and forth. Like for for whatever reason, Hydra wants this technology because they're hydra so uh you know they they come in and hulk's battling at, at one point hulk is battling hydra because he sort of decides to get with rick uh and to help him out but then he, he realizes no like this is what the leader wants this is what this is what he wants us to do and then he goes back and changes his mind and tries to go after the leader uh eventually the leader is sort of defeated but marlo does end up um being revived throughout all this uh which leads to just 18 issues later the big wedding issue did you read this one I have this one. You do, okay. ironically. This, I actually this is a kind of a fun issue. little random story that um that's probably the last one we'll talk about before we go into future imperfect. But uh, it's it's pretty much a silly. It's pretty silly, but it's fun. It's fun silly, and it starts off with uh, I guess the issue before Rick at Rick's bachelor party. Somebody had played a, a nudie film, as they call it. I love uh, when comics re- reference porn as nudie films, um, and uh, that Marlo was in when she was younger. So Rick was very upset about that. Uh, Marlo was upset. She. Seemingly goes for a walk on the beach, but uh, we later find out this is a dream. But she is approached by Mephisto, uh, the the devil of Mar- the Marvel Universe, and uh, they make a deal. Mephisto offers to make everything better, and Marlo kind of makes that deal. But then she wakes up, realizes it was a dream, but suddenly Rick Jones is, is, is forgiven her. He was very upset, but he realizes he was being silly, and the wedding is still on and everything. So they go to get married. Uh, there's a little cameo by Peter David as the priest. I don't know if you noticed, noticed that one in there. But, uh, no, yeah, no, that, I didn't. That, that was very clearly Peter David that they had uh, drawn up as the priest 
there. Uh, and then a bunch of uninvited guest stars showing up. We have Drax the Destroyer shows up. Uh, some Hulk villains show up. The Wizard, the Absorbing Man, uh, the Skrulls and the Kree show up. All these people are showing up uh, until Mephisto finally arrives and reveals that the Impossible Man sent all these fake invites out just to, to mess up the Hulk and Rick Jones. Uh, but it didn't actually mess up the wedding. That part didn't mess up the wedding too much because everyone was actually nice. Uh, the Kree and the Skrulls, they, they sat on different sides. Uh, you know, they almost got into a fight, but the Silver Surfer just told them to calm down and everybody was respectful, even the villains that showed up. So that was that was very nice to see until, of course, Mephisto shows up and um, he basically comes to claim Marlowe. He says, hey, you made a deal. You said, uh, you know, if, if I could let you have your wedding, then, uh, you know, the, the, this is the deal. You're making a deal with the devil. You got to come. I got to take your soul now. Uh, and then Mephisto uses that to say, well, I could take the Hulk instead here. I could take him and, and, and leave Marlowe. And uh, the Hulk start, start, almost looks like he's going to agree to it. He says, well, you know, all right, I'll come with you. You don't know what you're getting into, though. Maybe a mortal human soul will be just, you know, trapped in hell, but I'll be running that place in a hundred years, which is interesting because it's almost, it's it's not, I don't think it's meant as a reference to the Maestro character at all, but, uh, you know, that that is what the Hulk ends up doing in the real world in, in one alternate future is running the world in a hundred years. So that's pretty interesting. And uh, eventually the Hulk just lays out Mephisto and then he basically says like, you know, we, we're all here uh, at a wedding here in, in the name of God. So if we all believe in God, you have no real power here. And um, that that is basically why Mephisto gets defeated. Um, you see a little thought bubble where he says, ah, ha, ha, this is what I wanted the Hulk to think. So there's another plot brewing there. And I'm not sure where that aspect of the story ends up going. It but doesn't lead anywhere. Probably, like oh, many, like well, many things in doesn't. comics. <laughs> um, but at the end of the story, I found this really interesting. Um, Marlo is there and she's approached by someone we don't see on camera. We just see her hair and her clothes and she's given a brush. And this is clearly death from the Sandman comics. That I mean, there, there's no, there's no mistaking it from Neil Gaiman's Sandman. They don't show her face, but between the the way she's dressed and the way and her hair, that is death from the Sandman comics, from the Vertigo, from DC Vertigo comics. Uh, I don't know if you, if you caught that or not, but that that's clearly what they're portraying there. It's not the Marvel Comics version of death that we've seen, um, uh, you know, in the Infinity Gauntlet that that Thanos was obsessed with. Uh, but that was that was just a, a really odd to me. I totally didn't remember that from reading this years ago. Um, I don't know if that goes anywhere, but I found it fascinating. I guess it was just a, probably just supposed to be just a little, uh, a little homage or a nod. And uh, Marla has given this brush to, I guess, indicate that she had a, a brush with death. Yeah. So this is a prime example of DC and Marvel writers trying to, you know, cameo in each other's comics. And Peter David was notorious for this. I know that Jeff Loeb did it. And Alex Ross, who's both written like, you know, great stories for both Marvel and DC. They used to do this. And it was basically a way of uh, teasing each other and skirting along the intellectual property copyright type of laws. So that way for readers that do, you know, read both, like many people do, and are kind of, you know, comic literate in a sense. Uh, this is one of those moments where it's like, did, did this just happen? Can they do that? And, and it's done for the pure reason of we, we push the limits because we could do it. So think what we could do else, you know, elsewhere. So, uh, no, that, that was something really cool. They, they've done this a little bit before. You know, um, uh, there, there's a band that Alex Ross is obsessed with, which he has placed his cameos in like, all of his major uh, major works from like uh, uh, Mar- Mar- uh, Marvels to Kingdom Come. Can, can you guess what it is? I have no idea. It's the monkeys. Ah, he was obsessed with the monkeys. I'll have to look out for that now. Yeah, yeah. So more stuff you didn't need to know. The king but of now random. You you're the king of random comic book knowledge. Although that that might actually be our friend Rocky Ferenberg. He probably has you beat. He probably has me beat. 
All right, well, moving along here. Let's see. Now we're going to go to the big, the biggest story, I guess, of, of Peter David's run. It's hard to say biggest because he really did have a lot of, of iconic stories. But um, this is one of the more famous ones, specifically because it did introduce this this ultimate, ultimately evil version of the Hulk known as the Maestro. And what's great about this comic, besides the fact that it's just a really good story, who's the artist here, Remzo? We've got George Perez on this book. I, I didn't know that he was actually you know, still writing at this time. That that's the crazy thing. Still, and I know uh, that still drawing, you mean? Yeah. Still, still drawing at this time. And I mean, he I might thought have been writing stopped... his own journal on the side, but yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you, you know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, you, you look at him, this is uh this is four years after both like crisis on infinite earths and, uh, secret war and everything else Titans run right? i mean george george perez is one, for uh for newer fans is one of the most really most iconic artists of all time he also had one of my favorite avengers runs which uh i haven't plugged it into our database yet but this will be something we'll come to at some point one of my favorite avengers runs is uh by kurt busiek in the late 90s right after heroes reborn uh when they finished that they rebooted the avengers uh you know everything back into the regular oh, right, MCU. The, the heroes return one where they all go back to their actual dimension. Exactly. Yeah. And that Avengers yeah. run uh, with Kurt Busiek had uh, George Perez, the artist, and that that's one of my favorites as well. So that's something we'll be getting to someday. So much. Now so that, much that, 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 that's what I love about this show. Like I thought I had basically known all the stuff that all my favorite people have done and I'm still discovering things. That's why I love about comics. There's always just more out there. That's, that's the amazing thing about this show. Even for us who've been following this stuff for, you know, well, for me anyway, like close to 30 years here, uh, there's always new stuff to find. There's unlimited amounts of new comics to find. And we hope to ourselves find some of that stuff through this show. And also of course, introduce that stuff to the listeners, but we will now dive into future imperfect written by, Peter David with art by actually you know what why does it say anchor George Perez was he just the was he the anchor too yeah I guess he inked it too anchors play a big role yeah he did everything all right uh yeah Peter David and George Perez future Hulk future imperfect this is a standalone two issue series and let's see here. It basically starts off. We, we get we jump right into the story. We jump right into the future. Uh, the first words of this comic are welcome to dystopia. So we're in this kind of dystopian future. Um, and no, what? Wait a minute. Oh, sorry. I had the wrong. I had the wrong issue open. I was like, why is it starting with this? Um, we, we start off in this dystopian future, basically. And let's see. We have these rebels. We don't really know. We're, we're kind of just tossed into the story. We don't really know what's going on. We have to kind of figure it out as we go. Um, so we're in this weird future and uh, I don't know, it's hard to describe. It's, it looks like a kind of like a, a, almost like a Mad Maxian type future, would you say? There's, there's buildings, there's technology, but it's also sort of uh, a wasteland in, in many ways as well. And, there's, there's still civilization. You just don't want to be there. Yeah. You just don't want to be there. It's just not, it's not a fun time. So, uh, they are led by these rebels. We are, we are introduced to a character named Janice, who we do later find out is the granddaughter of Rick Jones. Uh, there's also some other characters in this group. One is named Piz fizz and i just wrote his down because he is the funniest he's the funniest name and uh they are immediately 90s. <laughs> these these rebels are kind of like wandering through this crowd and they're immediately attacked and one of them is, is killed and shot in the head and they're attacked by these cops called the gravity police <laughs> and uh they are just hunting these rebels down so uh we're, we're tossed right into this story where there's just nothing nothing good happening to, in this future here uh the only hope maybe is this little rebel group and uh during this battle a building gets knocked down and then who emerges from this building but it is 
Smart Hulk. So, you know, the Hulk that from that is currently existing in Peter David's run here. I think the story actually took place like between like, I think Hulk 416 and 417. So it would have been right before that wedding issue, actually. Uh, so that actually might make sense to Hulk's reference about running things, you know, 100 years in the future. Uh, but yeah, Hulk Hulk emerges here. And let's see, he kind of, uh, he, he blasts out and he battles the police and he, he battles this giant uh, metal robot dinosaur called the Dog of War. Uh, and we keep hearing about this character named the Maestro uh, throughout the, throughout this whole time. And we don't really know who that is yet, uh, but we do eventually find out that the Maestro is the Hulk because we are in the future. We are in the future where basically the Maestro is like the ultimate worst version of the Hulk. All the bad parts of the Hulk's personality, of Bruce Banner's personality, all of the potential evil. Because, you know, every human has the potential for good and the potential for evil. So this is the, the Maestro represents essentially all of of the potential evil that lives within Bruce Banner. That's that's how I would describe the maestro. A um, hundred years have passed. Since this time, we, we do learn that uh, there was a nuclear, there was a basically a nuclear war. And this and everybody died in these battles. Uh, even all the heroes died. Uh, at, once we meet Rick Jones, I'm kind of hopping around a little bit here. Once we meet Rick Jones, once the Hulk meet, meets Rick Jones, we find out that Rick Jones uh, basically set up these rebels to go back in time uh, to find this version of the Hulk and to bring him back to the future to help defeat the maestro. Uh, so Rick Jones is really what's behind this whole thing. And we do see, it's really an awesome scene where you first go into uh, this area where Rick Jones is. It's kind of like the, the Hall of Fallen Heroes. And uh, you see all these like iconic uh, iconic weapons and, and, and such from Marvel characters. You see Magneto's helmet. You see uh, Captain America's shield. You see Wolverine's claws. You see Thor's hammer, Doctor Doom's mask, and and uh, his like his armor. Uh, you see Nova's helmet. Basically, any any fallen hero you can find. This is a really detailed, uh, de- really detailed panel. So if you like zoom into certain parts, you can find stuff that you wouldn't even see just glancing at it. I mean, you have so many you have different versions of Iron Man's mask throughout the years. Uh, it's actually I think you have Wolverine's full skeleton there. Uh, so there's a lot going on here. But basically, the, the future in any realities usually never good for the marvel heroes like four years after this like 95 96 is when uh marvel's gonna get into their whole 2099 universe where you know that it's it's all types of 90s crazy man i really got into some of those 2099 books uh you know around that time too uh peter david what did he do did he do the i think he did the spider-man 2099 he 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 did he did he did that he did their version of Hulk, which I don't think was Bruce Banner. It was a Hulk type comic, but it wasn't this Hulk. And then he also did uh, the X-Men 2099. He he had his, he was basically in charge of setting everything up, but he didn't write every storyline. I think the one title he didn't do was like Punisher 2099, but he, you know, you could see his influence on everything. Yeah. The one I really got into was Doom 2099. I, I remember really enjoying that one. Oh, that, that was hardcore. Yeah. So that, that might, might need to add that to the short list of, of things to take a look at. Man, we're gonna have to do this for a long time, Rams, of this podcast because every every episode I find more episodes that we need to do. As long as 2020 doesn't destroy the world, I'm game. Exactly. Well, we gotta we gotta pump these out then, quick, just in case. Um, yeah, but, but basically, we, we're learning how we got to this point. We're learning. We learn the future. We learn how uh, how the Maestro was created. Um, like I said, when all the after all the heroes died and there was this nuclear war, um, the Maestro actually. You know, he was able to survive the, the nuclear blast because he's the Hulk. But not only that, he was absorbing all this nuclear radiation, the, 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 the radiation that was killing most of the population of the Earth. He was actually absorbing that and becoming more powerful and also becoming insane at the same time. So he's become more insane, more powerful, and more maniacal. And really, this represents, like I said, the 
everything evil within Bruce Banner is represented here in the maestro. It's almost like the the ultimate reflection of everything Peter David had been looking at um, through the different personalities of the Hulk. This really represents the the worst case scenario where Hulk literally gets so so far gone from the Bruce Banner part of his character uh, through having morality, uh, through actually having a conscience. He gets so far away from that he becomes the the exact opposite. I think. I mean, I I would say that the maestro is is pretty much Bruce Banner's polar opposite in every single way. Uh, and that this is basically the worst case scenario of what the Hulk could see, which really, really ties into the themes that have been playing all throughout Peter David's run, which I think just adds to the story so much. I mean, just as a standalone story, this is a great, uh, really great adventure. But when you look at it in the context of Peter David's run and his look at the, the psychology of Bruce Banner, the psychology of the Hulk and all the different personalities that end up emerging from him and seeing this pretty much worst case scenario you can imagine. And the Hulk after having to actually literally come face to face with that 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 worst case scenario as a reality or as a possible future reality. Uh, It's really an interesting scenario. Yeah. I mean, how long had the Hulk been around at this point? Like 30 years. I I can't really name a a lot of runs that really, really stand out in terms of Hulk stories. I mean, of course, you know, some of the Stan Lee stuff was good, but you know, you compare it to what Peter David is doing and Stan Lee never took him in that direction. Stan Lee helped really, plot plot the path but stanley didn't add those layers to him stanley didn't add uh add these different complications to him he wrote good stories but peter david has really fleshed out the hulk into the one that is really you're going to see for decades onward right um Meanwhile, we have the Hulk, the, the the Hulk, the Maestro. I guess they're all the same guy. Uh, but the Maestro has captured uh, Piz Fizz, my favorite of the Rebels, again. And he's basically, they're basically just zapping his mind to, and to try to learn. They're basically looking at a flashback of how they went back to, to Rick Jones and how they brought this Hulk to the future uh, through kind of, you know, through this device that lets them look inside Piz his fizz's mind and uh during this process uh his his brain freezes and since the maestro decides he is of no use to him anymore he just simply kills piss fizz so the maestro is he does not mess around when he's done with someone he's done with them uh he ends it he ends it real quick um let's see and so basically they the banner has, has agreed to team up with these rebels after he meets rick jones and uh, he agrees okay maybe he's the only one who's possibly powerful enough to uh to defeat the maestro at one point he does see betty banner's ashes uh next to let's see the, it's actually interestingly placed between the ashes of the leader and gene gray so i guess those people died without um without any kind of uh relics like some of the other people it, uh, in, it in the room. sucks to be in the marvel universe i, I don't know I, I think it's not that i don't know i didn't really find betty banner's the reveal of her death interesting because this is 100 years in the future and she's a human so she would have just died anyway um at this point although of course in marvel comics she becomes a hulk and becomes irradiated and all this other stuff so so who knows but um death in comics you know even back then has really lost its lost its effect on people right so uh, the maestro basically goes nuts and wants to go after these rebels, and they have set a bunch of booby traps uh, for the maestro. And uh, the booby traps, they do kill all these gravity cops. But the maestro, he's tough, and he just walks through all this shit. He walks through lasers, and he walks through acid, and then he shows up, and he comes face-to-face with the Incredible Hulk, where you have a nice little panel to end issue one, where they both simultaneously state, Dr. Banner, I presume. Uh, so this is the first time the Hulk and Maestro had had come face to face before Hulk was just battling, you know, the, the gravity police and trying to figure out why the hell he was there. Um, so yeah, that. What do you think of that last panel to end that that first issue? It's pretty I, iconic. 
Yeah, I mean, George Perez's pencilmanship is just, I mean, when you, he, he does very few full page spreads, nonetheless, even two, spa, two page spreads. So to give him a full page where he can really do that. Uh, what, what I love is the fact that you can see, like, with each personality of the Hulk, their faces are different, mm-hmm. like their nose and their brow line and everything. It's really different. I think it's great that they do that because it really, adds in a reminder that when he becomes a different version of the Hulk, it's really a different Hulk entirely. Yeah, the Maestro is not just an older version of the Hulk. He's a clearly a different personality. There are even different shades of green, uh, which I think is, is fascinating because the different colors. If, if Marlon Brando became the Hulk, I have a feeling he would be Maestro Ooh. because it gives me a very Colonel Kurtz vibe. And the fact that his face, even though it's aged, it's got a lot more unique features to it. That that's always been something that's crossed my mind. Man, I would love to see a film version of the Maestro. That is, th- this is a story that needs to be told told in some in some other format. I feel strongly, but I don't think. Well, we're not going to get it from Marvel. We know that, unless something changes. Legal stuff, man. Legal stuff is no. Disney, fun. work your magic. Buy 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 Paramount. Buy buy Universal. I feel like Disney's going to buy everything pretty soon, anyway. So this this might everything's going everything's going to be owned by Disney. Yeah. But we do see a big battle here. Finally, this, this issue starts off with this a straight up battle between the Hulk and the Maestro. Uh, Maestro even refers to the Hulk as puny banner at one point, which is of course is a, is a classic uh, line that the Hulk used to refer to his, his alter ego as, or maybe he's the alter ego who really knows it's all one ego is what we really find. You know, that, that the, none of, nothing is an alter ego. Even Bruce Banner is not necessarily the prime personality. That's just the personality that we first meet before he gets hit by the, the you know, by the gamma bomb. Uh, but there are, Really, as we learn, mostly through David's run, all of these personalities are just an aspect of the same person, which I, I really – it's something that Peter David constantly sort of hammers home uh, throughout, throughout the various Hulk stories. Uh, let's see. At one point during this battle, the Hulk tries to save uh, one of the rebels named Zack uh, from a falling building, but but he dies. As as this Zack guy is dying, he just says fi- the final words, kill Maestro. Um, so as the Hulk is contemplating that, uh, the Maestro comes up behind him and snaps his neck. That was very dramatic. And uh, so Hulk is out. But Rick Jones assures the Rebels, don't worry. Hulk is going to pull through for us on this one because he knows the Hulk. He brought this version of the Hulk here to this time uh, for a very specific reason. So he's confident, even though the Hulk has had his neck snapped and been captured by the Maestro, that he's going to pull through. Uh, The Hulk wakes up now and he is being seduced by uh, a woman who calls herself one of the Maestro's favorites. So so now Hulk is sort of captured. He's in like they they show him in a neck brace, but uh, he's also being treated as a a guest of sorts. And uh, he the Maestro has sent his women after him. So what do you think of this aspect of the story where it kind of went from a straight up battle to now now the maestro is sort of courting the hulk he's he's courting the hulk to become part of his sort of inner circle this younger version of himself and uh this is where we first hear also about a segment i want to introduce on this show maybe not a segment but just something different something that i want to talk about whenever it comes up are time travel rules because we always hear different (laughs) rules of time travel in different stories um so the hulk presumes that the maestro is just is not killing him uh it's revealed in the conversation they have because now they're just kind of talking politely at at this point um it's revealed that or not revealed but uh banner believes that the maestro is afraid to kill him because he's afraid that it will it will wipe out the maestro's existence because this is a younger version of him. The Maestro, however, says, no, 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 Hulk, you have it all wrong. 
and Maestro lays out a time travel rule, or at least a proposed time travel rule in this scenario. Maestro says he is not afraid of the Hulk, of, and then the Hulk also threatens to kill himself as well at one point, and the Maestro kind of calls his bluff. He's like, you can go because kill yourself. Because that always works out. Yeah, he's like, you can go kill yourself. I don't care. I'm not afraid. Uh, because he because Maestro says he has no recollection of these events. So it didn't happen to him. So what's whatever happens to this past version of the Hulk is not going to, at least in the Maestro's mind, or at least what the Maestro is telling us, is that it's not going to affect him. Now, we don't know if this is true or not, because Hulk also comes back and says, well, maybe you're just telling me that. Maybe you do remember these events, and you remember not pulling the trigger because the Maestro convinced you not to do it. <laughs> so maybe that's what's really happening. Or maybe these events all happened to you, but when they sent you back in time, they wiped your brain and you don't remember it. So maybe this all did happen. So they're both kind of going back and forth, kind of... Uh, Teasing each Back other. Back to the future rules. Yeah, they're, they're kind of debating what the time travel rules are here. And uh, the, the this maestro, this uh, this lackey of the maestro here, um, the, his minister, as he calls him, as they're having this conversation, the, he just says, man, I'm getting a headache trying to follow this. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I love that part. It reminded me of uh, of the X-Men, the, the Scott Lobdell story that we talked about in episode one, uh, when there's all these characters keep showing up and uh, Dr. Cornelius just, just says, man, this just gets more and more confusing. So I love when little characters kind of reference something that's becoming confusing in a, in a story it always gets me it gets me every time yeah i mean i i always my default time travel rules are always back to the future rules and if we've learned anything about stories like this i mean we've got the the what if uh line of comics is really mainstream we're understanding that there are different realities it's always just determining which is what and does one actually matter Exactly. And the maestro comes back with another good line himself. He says, that is a higher, that is a hazard with time travel theorizing, Minister. <laughs> As uh, any comic book fan will tell you, it, uh, when you try to really wrap your head around time travel and time travel rules, uh, you're going to get a headache. So, again, I always love little references within comics to things that actually are confusing about comics. It's always fun to me. Um, then the maestro goes out, and uh, this is really creepy. She He inspects and purchases, I guess, a young teenage girl named Char. Uh, so that's... that's uh, As you do in the future. As, as you do in the future. Uh, the maestro throws a big banquet. This is actually where he explains the whole story. I guess I, I had spoiled that one earlier, but uh, this whole this whole show is a spoiler as always, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, but the, this is where Hulk, uh, Maestro really explains to the Hulk everything that happened, uh, how the humans all nuked each other and he survived, but the radiation just made him stronger. Uh, he doesn't say it made him more insane too, but it clearly did. Um, later on, the, the minister shows up and he has this, he wants to try to kill the Hulk. Um, the, the Hulk is just in his bed here. The mister, minister shows up, tries to kill him. He's stopped by Janice, and we find out that the Hulk had actually already recovered and had dug a tunnel under his bed for the rebels to come through. Uh, the Hulk also realizes Hulk, the, my, the, this gun that the minister was using. This is a gun that I guess was made by Forge. It was specifically designed to kill the Hulk. Um, but the, you know, the Hulk says, Minister, I know what you're doing here. You're gonna try. You're gonna try to kill me because you really want to take out the maestro. You're sick of being under underneath him, and you think that killing me is gonna take out the maestro. Well, guess what? It's not gonna matter because I got the rebels in here, and you didn't really know what was going on. So uh, there's a big battle again here. Once once the the maestro realizes that the rebels have invaded his fortress, that they have snuck in, and of course again the maestro is reveals that he's a step ahead. That he knew the Hulk would would recover early, and he knew that they were gonna he was gonna dig a tunnel, and he knew that he would help the rebels get in, and he also knew the minister. Was going to try to kill the Hulk and turn on him. So the Maestro just, of course, kills the Minister once he reveals all of that. So the Maestro always seems to, which makes sense because he is 
Bruce Banner. The maestro. The same person. So he should know everything that the Hulk would do in theory. Uh, which also begs you to think, did this really happen to the maestro? Was he just bluffing before? Uh, did he know all this was going to happen? Not just because he's Bruce Banner and knows what he might do, but because this all actually did happen to him. And that's why he really won't kill Bruce Banner. This is a, a mystery that is, is not, not necessarily ever solved without this. But I do like the constant tease of, we don't really know if the maestro actually remembers these events or if it's all just a bluff to keep Bant, you know, keep Hulk from killing himself or, or doing something crazy that would just wipe out his existence. Um, we're going to wrap up in a, in a minute here. We're getting towards the end, but what do you what do you think of this entire story thus far? Far before we get to the the final battle here. Uh, this story specifically is always a little bit contentious because no one knows if it's specifically an in-canon uh, story or if it was always meant to be kind of a, you know, one-off type of situation. I think like it's what meant you have. to be in-canon for the Hulk, for the Hulk series. Um, but that future, as we know with time travel in comics, there's no one future that's ever the, the canon future, if that makes sense. But the past yeah, is always so- canon. So I think it's canon for the Hulk. But not yeah, for the but, maestro. But sense. with with a story like this, I I like the the fact that this was a limited series and that it's kind of off from the main title because right. if let's say he screwed up or something, it gives him the opportunity to be creative and still have put out a really good story. So the fact that he's able to really push the limits of this one, it's always been one of those things where it's like it doesn't have to be canon, but if you really know what's going on and you see things that come later, you kind of know it was basically adopted. It's like a, it's like a killing joke type of situation. Right. It is after the fans ultimately decide it is, and I think that was the case of Maestro. That's why he pops up in uh, video games and TV so often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they definitely set it up that they could just call it sort of Elseworlds or type story or, or a one-off story, but uh, yeah, the, the Maestro character has cropped up, like you said, in various media uh, and video games and comics, so it's, it's a character that's stuck around. Uh, I think the Maestro most recently appeared even in Old Man Logan, which is interesting because in, in, uh, in Old Man Logan, the original Old Man Logan, his his main villain is a version of the Hulk, is another evil version of the Hulk. Not the same version as the Maestro, but uh, I think the popularity of this character has has basically has been proven over the years because he keeps popping up. You know, this was this is not a one off character as as it may have been meant to be at the beginning. Yeah. Moving on to the final battle here. Um, Hulk, Hulk and Maestro are just going at it. We get two big Hulk and Maestro battles in this uh, kind of book ending, ending this second issue here. Uh, but ultimately, the Hulk nails Maestro with, with the Captain America shield. Um, actually, no, I, I shouldn't. I skipped over something. Rick actually uh, tries to protect himself. The, 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 um, the Maestro goes after Rick. Uh, and Rick protects himself with Captain America's shield, uh, which seems to work at first, but then he is impaled by Wolverine's claws. <laughs> so uh, so Rick Jones does is, is you know, is mid death here at this point uh then the hulk is down for the count yeah so the hulk of course gets very angry about seeing his his old old version of his friend uh dying here so the hulk nails maestro with the shield um the maestro thinks he's gonna be smart and use thor's hammer but he can't lift it of course he can't lift it because the maestro is not worthy come on of course the maestro is worthy uh i found this interesting we during this battle we also see a little cameo from the infinity gauntlet now i assume this is not the actual infinity gauntlet that has intact usable infinity stones or else why would the maestro not not already be using that well okay with that with that logic if he's unworthy of holding thor's hammer how do you get it in there well, I think th- I think now they're battling in that place where Rick Jones was was staged. Oh, right, oh, the, oh the right, Hall right, of right. So that, that maybe it was just a remnant of the gauntlet, but obviously it couldn't have had the stones, or else Rick Jones would have used the stones, or like anybody would have used the, the Infinity Gauntlet to to end what's happening now. So. Oh, I'm I'm talking about the hammer, though, Thor's hammer. How yeah, did it Thor's was all in that same room, I think, wasn't it? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. In that but how to get in the room? Oh did right, Thor oh yeah, that, oh, that's a good question. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like how did it originally? That's a, get that's there? a continuity error. Mm, maybe, maybe Rick Jones is worthy. Maybe. 
Um, that's interesting. Maybe Thor died in that room and just left it there. They need another spinoff. But it was spin-off. hanging. It was like nicely hanging. So this is a, this is a really good mystery. I don't know. Hmm. We're going to have to think about that one. Maybe someone worthy, some other type god, or some, or maybe Captain America before he died, put it up there, and then now, now no one can lift it. But anyway, <laughs> eventually... It's a nice conversation piece. Eventually in this battle, I mean, the Hulk cannot physically defeat the Maestro, because the Maestro is basically a stronger, more powerful version of the Hulk, but he does outsmart the Maestro, because they, they kind of get him to, to... They push him into Doctor Doom's time machine, the same time machine that they used to, uh, to, to go back and get this version of the Hulk. Um, so they send him into the time machine. I kind of hate the... Um, the trope of let's see because Rick Jones still hadn't died here so they send Maestro off in the time machine and he's still you know Rick Jones is like mid-death and um you know then um Hulk is kind of you know he's comforting Rick or whatever and Hulk is saying you know no I'm gonna be fine I I see my I see my kids now or I see uh, I see Marlo I forget who he actually references I don't know I kind of hate that trope of characters dying and as they're dying they see their relatives I don't know I, I see it so much in comics and movies it's just like oh come on just it's lost its effect yeah, just it, like it, killing some characters uh, it is then revealed that the maestro was not just sent back to a random place in time. He was sent specifically back to the day the Hulk is created, uh, right there, right at the moment when the gamma bomb goes off. And we see a really cool scene where you see um, kind of different panels. Of, you see one panel where you see Bruce turning, getting hit by the gamma bomb and turning into the Hulk. And right in that parallel panel, you see the maestro being hit by that gamma bomb and disintegrating. So I think it was finally this amount of gamma radiation at this point with all the radiation that the maestro had taken in over the years. This was what basically was just it was just too much. This just this just just basically just destroyed his body at the same time in history that it created Bruce Banner, which I thought was uh, a really interesting way to sort of, for now, end the life of the Maestro. Of course, we have seen this this character pop up uh, now and again. But so, was it the same one? But was it the same one? Well, time travel. It's confusing. Comic logic. Yeah. Uh, comic death, comic time travel. These are all things that that we can just you know. We don't want to put too much thought into them because we want to preserve our minds. And uh, if we put too much thought into it, we will not. Um, but for now, for the for the impetus of this story, the maestro uh, is is killed on the same day that Bruce Banner is created. What do you think of the way that they finally uh, defeated the maestro here? Uh, this is what I love about uh, Peter David. Like he has such a respect for where all the Hulk stories previous to this have really built up to this moment. So that way, whether you're a Hulk fan or whether you're someone who likes the Hulk, but wasn't really into the comics, you could pick the story up and it's just a really good singular event. And that's what I think is the sign of a good story, whether you can read it in its self-containedness and it's good, whether or not you, this is the first one you're picking up or whether or not you've been a diehard. Uh, Pierre David really understands how, you know, how fans and how readers work. So, I mean, this is really his best work in my opinion. Absolutely. And obviously, I mean, you know, the, the, the birth of the Hulk uh, created by Stanley, um, was it Stanley and Jack Kirby together that created the Hulk? Yeah. Yeah. Stanley and Jack Kirby, obviously, they, they need the credit for defining the Hulk character and creating the character. But in so many ways, Peter David took that creation and turned it into so much more than it ever had been before. He really looked at the psychology of Bruce Banner. He looked at very serious issues, uh, serious issues like child abuse, uh, serious issues like, like you know, serious psychological issues that real people have in real life uh, with split personalities, the things that people suffer from from going through early childhood abuse. Uh, so there's, there's some really powerful stuff in Peter David's 
stories, and he really dove into the psychology of the Hulk and the multiple personalities and what they all represent in ways that other writers had perhaps touched upon but had never really dived into in the, the really in-depth way where this is always a theme of Peter David's writing. I mean, you, you hardly had a Hulk story with Peter David where there wasn't some kind of uh, reference to the multiple personalities of Bruce Banner, not just the simple stories that we had in the past where it was, you know, at one point, uh, I think in the beginning, Bruce just turned into the Hulk at night and then became Banner at day. And then it turned into something where it was more triggered by uh, what was happening to him or events. And it's, it's kind of gone back and forth. But uh, Peter David really defined the multiple personalities as the various aspects of Bruce Banner created through the tragedies uh, and the trauma he suffered in his life, which, uh, you know, is ve- very he, Peter David is interesting. Cause he has a, yeah, he can at times have very lighthearted writing, very sort of comedic writing, while also tackling very, very serious, very, very is- issues that I don't know. I, I don't know if I should have been reading issue 328 when I was 12. Like that that was like a serious issue, which would have made, like you said, an amazing episode of a TV show or an amazing scene in the movie. But I don't know. I mean, I'm reading it now and I'm, str- I'm, I'm 40 years old, Remzo, and I'm hit by the story. I can't imagine if I picked that thing up when I was you know, 10 or 12. Oh, I mean, he he's very much like David Filoni, who is known for like the Avatar cartoons and the and the uh, the Star Wars shows and stuff like that. Like Dave Filoni is able to take a really a children's property. Um, and I'm not saying Hulk was, but he's able to take something which is kind of big in terms of like the age demographic. And he's able to provide stuff for everybody. So no matter who you are, when you're reading it, you're able to pick up something each time. And I think that's the, the mark of a good writer, how you can go and read this as a child and see it one way. And then when you're older and more, you know, mature and everything, you could re- go back back to it and you see something completely different. That's that's how a good writer is able to have their stories live on for so long. Right, right. Yeah, and, and Peter David's writing, uh, the stories that he created during his run truly have lived on in so many ways, not just the fact that, that it's, you know, he has well-known uh, stories, stories that are still looked back upon uh, with fondness, but his stories have influenced everything we've seen from the character since then, including, as we mentioned earlier, up to currently right now, uh, the portrayal of that character in the MCU. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, we're not going to rate all of Peter David's run in the traditional manner. Why don't we just rate this story? Uh, but obviously, we both are a fan of, of what we've seen from Peter David's run. I, I read most of this uh, at the time, at least from, I think I started around 370 around the the time of the merged Hulk and I think I read pretty pretty much most of it from there and I've gone back and read a lot of it too so I I've pretty much read most of it um, and then I, I don't know how much of, you, of it you had read before this but um, obviously uh, we're, we're both pretty pretty high on this run overall yeah I mean I, I think without like he do I is he my favorite Hulk writer probably like I'll, I'll probably say that but at the same I mean, time Al, Al I Ewing mean, is making a great case on Immortal Hulk so that yeah that's that's the thing but then again it's like could that have happened if Peter David didn't provide them the the platform I would to go say absolutely not because so much of what Ewing is doing is I wouldn't say derivative of, of Peter David's work but it's building on it I should say it's in the spirit of it yeah absolutely yeah, so it's one of those like chicken or egg scenarios. I think if you want to know Hulk, this is the run you have to read. Absolutely. Yep, for sure. And uh, yeah, as far as Future Imperfect goes, um, let's rate this thing. Now, I'm art-wise, George Perez is amazing. George Perez is, I, I think he's one of the most detailed clear artists that you can find. I mean, he has, I mean, you, you really see this in Crisis on Infinite Earth and in Teen Titans. I mean, the way he can draw like a million characters uh, distinctly, like even in the same panel, uh, is just incredible. So I, I really can't find much fault with George Perez's work. I'm not going to go five because I got to reserve the fives, but I'll give him a 4.5 for the art there. And uh, I'll give Peter David a four on the writing. I like the story a lot. Um, 
something about time travel always i can't i can hardly give a time travel story a five ever <laughs> i think that's just one of the rules i have because i don't know there's so much this is done pretty well for time travel something about it never sits quite well with me it just it, it just feels like something of a trope this is done the best some of the best i've ever seen it done um but you know it gets a four. So I'm going to give it an 8.5 overall. I like the story a lot. It's one of the better stories. I don't see it as like my favorite Hulk story necessarily of all time or anything like that. I, I think it just, it gets extra points because of the creation of the maestro and because of, of how it really represented um, a culmination in many ways, even though it wasn't the end, but a culmination of a lot of what Peter David had tackled, looking at the various personalities of the Hulk and it's showing us this, this absolute nightmarish worst possible scenario of the Hulk. So I'm going to give it an 8.5 overall for this, for the specific future and perfect story. Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree on some stuff. I mean, I, I, I agree with almost everything you said, but I may, may, with different numbers, different numbers. I I don't think this is George Perez's best work. Oh, it's not his best. And I feel fair. that in some ways, you know, his, his his skill for detail and for really using every inch of the page. Sometimes for me, it seems like you could tell where he's getting kind of sloppy on the edges. I don't think it's his best. I'm going to give him a three Ooh, only wow. because I only because I know how good he is. He's he he's on my route. He's on my Mount Rushmore of artists. But this is not the one where I'm like, if you want to see quintessential George Perez, you go to this. Yeah, I wouldn't say this is the first George Perez story to go look at if you want to see quintessential George Perez. But I just think his depiction of the maestro and the sort of a, how he just drew this future world that we had never seen before. And the detail that he has, especially in the facial expressions, especially when we see the, the Hulk and the maestro talking to each other. I mean, it's little details like that that really stand out to me. So I, I think, yeah, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say that I would say you should probably go read Crisis or something if you want to see, you know, Perez is some of his best work or even Titans. But um, no, I'd still recommend this. So I'm going to stick to my 4.5 yeah i mean it's yeah i so i'm, I'm gonna go with three out of five for that one yeah. for the story uh i i agree with you I, I can never give a time travel story anything close to uh to an a so like with this one i'll i, I mean here's my thing one i'm i wish it was a few more issues i mean usually at my complaint that a lot of limited series are too many issues yeah. this one it's like it could have been flushed out a little bit more because there's a lot to process he could have really really made the the tide so much better because you know by the end of the second issue you, you ultimately know hulk's going to win because hulk always wins yeah. i would have liked to have seen it appear like we like something about this is going to change him forever ultimately hulk is just going to end up going back in time so it's almost like this was a side story i don't know why it wasn't canon that was probably an editor decision as to why it was a limited series i'm gonna i'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it a three. So yeah, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a six out of ten. Wow. All right. That's pretty low. That's pretty low for a, an iconic story. But this is why we're here to make our to pass our judgment. Uh, man, this always happens when you start to say, "Man," I start. <laughs> I start to rethink my thing. I'm like, "Was I too high?" But I, I don't think I'm too 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 high here. Yeah. I mean, I don't think this is a reflection on either of these men at all. We've seen how high they can go. So I think the the issue in grading this specific story, uh, Hulk feature imperfect. I I just feel like it was there, there's too much of it that's missing. Yeah, I, I will definitely agree with you on the pacing. The first issue felt like a really good start to a maybe a four issue miniseries, and then suddenly it all happens. Everything else happens in the second issue. I mean, you start with the first battle between Hulk and the Maestro, and you end that same issue with the climatic battle between the Hulk and the Maestro. So I I would agree this probably would have been a lot better played out. Um, over the course of maybe like a four or maybe even six issue miniseries. At the same time, though, like you said, we all know. Give, give me win. a third at least. Yeah, yeah. Like have the second one just be all fighting, just a right. complete slugfest. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's a fair point. I'll give you I'll give you that in the pacing, but that's why it gets a four for me. So. 8.5 for me for Future Imperfect, a 6 from Remzo. Uh, so what's that, an average of 7.25 from, from the second print collective? I think that's fair. I think that's a fair average. Fair. If we're just doing these two, I mean, if, you, if we talked about any of the others, it'd be a completely different sure, story. I mean, if we talk about the run overall, well, I'm probably giving it a similar score to the run overall, but he had a lot of different artists on, on those scores. I mean, he had amazing yeah. artists on his run, too. That's something that really helped P- Peter David's run. He's, he always had amazing artists backing him up. Uh, he had Todd McFarlane at one point. He had Dale Keown at one point. Um, really, and, and, you know, George Mc, McFarlane's yeah. version of, like, uh, Joe Fixit is probably my favorite yeah. rendering yeah. of that Grey Hulk. For sure. So, yeah. Either way, whether you read Future Imperfect specifically, I would recommend reading it um, as part of if you're going to. It's a fun into, story. Yeah, it's definitely a fun story, yeah. and it's definitely something to touch on as part of Peter David's run. But if you just want to dip your toes into Peter David, I think the issues that we mentioned today, 328, his first issue, 377, and uh, this are probably the best ones to look at. You could also read uh, 400 is not bad, and then the wedding issue. The wedding issue is fun, 418. Uh, I'd, I'd recommend checking out that just for, if nothing else, then just for the, this odd appearance of death at the end of, of, of a character from the salmon at the end which really really caught me off guard I, I probably didn't understand it what i probably didn't get the reference when i was that young because i hadn't i hadn't hopped over to the vertigo stuff at that point when i was first reading this so uh but I, it was very clear who, who it was uh, when i read it this time but um yeah either way i think uh, i think remzo and myself all agree that peter david's hulk run is something to if you are a fan of this character at all you gotta at least check out some of this stuff and you know if you have the marvel unlimited app you could you could read the whole 12 year run so Man, we got to find a way to make money off Marvel Unlimited, off Disney uh, off affiliates. Yeah, Disney. Disney, we will shill so hard. Give us a call. So hard. Give us a call, Disney. But until then, we only make money on our Patreon. So if you do want to help us make some money uh, for our, our hard our hard effort that we put into reading these stories and reviewing these tales for you each and every week, please do head over to patreon.com slash I almost I almost I almost wow. named I almost named my other podcast Patreon. Wow. <laughs> patreon.com slash second print pod. And since I mentioned it, you can also find myself and Remzo on some other podcasts. You can find me on the Lions of Liberty podcast. You can find Remzo on On the Run with Remzo Martinez over at the We Are Libertarians Network as well. So I know you're not here for that, but if you like the sound of our voices, that's some other places you can find us. And of course, like I said, the ratings, the reviews on Apple Podcasts are huge. If you send us a screenshot, we will send you an issue of X-Men number one, or you can just join that Patreon. Anybody that joins before October 1st will also get an issue, an issue, an episode, an issue, an episode. We'll get a copy of X-Men. The Weimar Republic dollar of a comic book. Exactly. And this is is now X-Men number one is more historic because not only does it represent uh, the, you know, the expansion of the x-men in the 90s it now also represents the beginning of this podcast so i i I am sure that that will help raise the value from the two or three dollars they sell for now uh, in the future maybe i'll probably get some of those issues for free when i go pick them up exactly uh (laughs) remzo any last words before we take off Folks, go ahead and follow us on all the social media. You know how the wild and amazing internet works. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, oh my, at Second Print Pod. And p- before we hit 50, I think the number was 50, you can go ahead and hang out with Mark and I and all the other fans in the exclusive Ultimate Second Print Comics Podcast Fan Zone on Facebook. That's right. It's, it's free till we hit 50, and then it's a Patreon-only perk. Of course, everyone on Patreon uh, will be getting in there as well. Until next time, Renzo, I only have one more thing to tell people. That is to ask them to please, no, not live long and no. Read comics. Change the world. Good night, America.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.